Welcome back to the School of Calisthenics Playground Sessions podcast and it's another chance for you to listen to us as guests on the uh, Adam Willis's podcast. Tim, this is called the... <laughs> David, I, it is called the Empowered Body Podcast with Adam Willis. I know. Yeah. I know. Well, we went on. to a gym in Liverpool called Empowered Fit and I kept getting it mixed Since up. Since then, you've never been the same. You? <laughs> yeah, no, you, only, you, you come back a changed man when you go to Liverpool. So this was a general tour of calisthenics. We talked beginners. We talked about the, how it fits into normal strength training. Lots of different areas of just general kind of subjects around calisthenics and bodyweight training. Really nice conversation with Adam. And we think you should just sit back, grab a drink and do whatever it is you do when you listen to podcasts. You'll probably find out something about Tim dislocating his shoulder. I might have mentioned shoulders if you didn't know already. You'll find out. Dave it's worth a listen. This is a good one. Yeah, and it's, uh, if you like listening to us talk about ourselves, then play on, indulge. Yeah. So this is it, guys. Sit back, Adam Willis, guests, me and Jacko, on the Empowered Body podcast. If you've made it this far, keep going. It's about yeah. to start. Gets better. Welcome everybody to the Empowered Body Podcast. I'm joined today by Tim and Jacko from the School of Calisthenics. They're both fantastic strength and conditioning coaches and uh, if you follow them on social media, you know they're, they're kind of content monsters when it comes to body weight and calisthenics training. So thank you guys for taking the time to come on today. It's, it's really huge to have you guys on. Hey, thanks uh, thanks for having us and um, that intro. Talk to me. Uh, content <laughs> monsters. I've never, that's a new one, but I like it. Content monsters. Well, I, I've heard you guys on the podcast before. Take it as a compliment. <laughs> So I thought I better come out, better come out hot with some. Uh, I think it was Brian Keane's one. Like he's <laughs> yeah. so energetic. I was like, I, I better turn yeah. some caffeine and turn this one up a little bit. Yeah. Some people would say content monsters. Others would say dog with a bone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's all cool. But yeah, thank you so much for coming on, guys. Um, we just kind of spoke about the fact that we could we could lose fifty minutes with you guys both doing long intros. So um, if you kind of want to introduce yourselves, uh, how you got into you know, the, the industry, perhaps calisthenics as well, and then uh, how the School of Calisthenics came about. Yeah, sure. I'll go first. Um, I'm, my name's Tim. I've been a strength and conditioning coach for about the last 10, 11 years, uh, working predominantly with, with Paralympic athletes. Um, a, lot, a lot of the time, as you do as a strength and conditioning coach, I spent time with juniors in, in university setups, but it was really the Paralympic stuff, which um, was my passion and still is for a long time. And that's how Jack and I uh, got to know each other, really. It was, um, I'll let Jacko talk about his previous career, but we started working together uh, in another business that we have with one athlete, which was providing individualized support for, uh, for Paralympic athletes looking to go to major competitions. Um, so yeah, that was really my, my background. And then I got into calisthenics just as a bit of accident, really. I was, I was away on holiday with my wife's family in South Africa. And so we, um, we were there and I didn't want to go to the gym and I'd had a number of, of shoulder injuries in the past, dislocations and, and two reconstruction surgeries from playing rugby, which I started when I was about 11 years old. Um, and I, I'd, I'd lost all confidence because it, no matter what I did, all the physio stuff didn't work. And I, I just kept on having issues and instability problems and dislocations. So I was on, on holiday. I didn't want to go to the gym. I was dying to see. I wanted to train outdoors. And I thought, you know what? I'm, I'm a, I'm a really, I've got quite a light frame. I'm a relatively small guy. Um, I should be good at strength to weight ratio um, exercise and stuff in the gym. Fancy trying something different for my own enjoyment of my training. Something I could use with athletes. But also... 
my, my rationale was if I can do a handstand, it would give me some confidence that my shoulders are stable, um, which is maybe not the most logical thing to do when you're prone to dislocate in overhead positions. And I remember the first time I tried to kick up into one, it was literally like, right, let's give this a go and see if, see if I stay in one piece. Uh, and I did. And that was sort of about five years ago. I'm, I'm the journey since then has been very organic. I dragged Jet Dave into, into training with me when I got back. I was like, I've been playing around with some handstands and some back levers. And we just got bitten by the bug. And everyone laughed at us to start off with because we were terrible. We were coming from two ex, well, two rugby players, pretty broken, smashed up, no gymnastics background, um, to playing around with some stuff that was fun. We had a lot of a really good time doing it, but we had no real right to be doing what we were trying to do. Um, and then people started, we got, we left those and then we got okay. And then people asked us if we could teach them. So we put some workshops on the school of calisthenics was, was born almost just very organically and a little bit by accident, but it's a, uh, it's been a great ride since then. I, uh, I forgot to tell you recently, actually I was doing, um, watched a, a I think it was a YouTube thing about Einstein and how he came up with all his theories and, uh, your, what you described there, Tim is a thought experiment. <laughs> And actually, Einstein did all of his work through thought experiments. Just imagined what was going to happen. You actually then went and did the handstand. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, no, that's... Uh, yeah, I'm, um, I'm Jacko, or as Tim said, sometimes Dave, David. You use those terms interchangeably. There's a number probably of other different things, depending on how good or bad I'm being. But um, yeah, I play... I, my background um, before I got into strength and conditioning was I was a rugby player in the championship with uh, Nottingham, played 13 years pro rugby. Um, before that actually started at Nottingham when I was six years old one club man and uh, played for every team uh, except for the ladies all the way from under sixes um, but so yeah my, my rugby career came to an end in 2013 from a head injury uh, so sort of had to sort of force into retirement and uh, wasn't entirely sure what I wanted to do um, at all but I'd always really enjoyed the gym side and the strength and conditioning work that we'd done you know I was lucky enough to work with a very good um, S&C coach um, in my rugby career and so um, met Tim through a friend of ours that uh, goes to the same church as us and he said um introduced me to Tim because he, he knew I wanted to get into S&C and he'd, and I didn't, my, my degree, my background is in engineering at Loughborough. So I had no sort of sports qualifications or anything like that. And, uh, Tim had gone, although he's got a master's in exercise science now, he'd gone in, uh, to S&C from a, an, in, an internship, uh, route with uh, Trinity University. So he, he'd come from a non-traditional route in and we just got talking and I basically followed him around for a year was trying to learn what he was doing um i didn't have um i didn't necessarily want or, or want to hook up with him because of the paralympic stuff he was doing but soon got like um just entrenched in that and really interested in in how he was having to adapt the training environment to, to suit all the different um disabilities or impairments the athletes have and it was really it was really interesting i've always really involved problem solving um I guess that comes from a sort of scientific background and it was certainly like every almost training session is your problem solving. And that was one of the things that got us when we started doing calisthenics that was really interesting. We were talking before we went today, you're saying about breaking down the human flag. Well, the human flag was something I, when I first saw it, thought it was photoshopped. And then when I tried to do it, felt impossible and had no idea what we how to, how on earth do you do this thing? The, there was a, it was a training problem where we needed to adapt the training environment to ourselves, not because we had an impairment, but because we couldn't do this thing that was so complicated for us to do. Um, and it's actually, you know, that sort of background, um, in, in training and coaching, being able to, to 
adapt the training environment and change things that allowed us, or what I believe has allowed us to actually make some of these complex calisthenics moves accessible to people like us who started, like Tim said, with absolutely nothing from absolute zero. And then that's allowed us to then bring it out to the to sort of wider community of people that are engaging with it, with it now. That's awesome. It, it's strange. It's a, uh, you guys, it, there seems to be an abundance of ex rugby players who are now <laughs> into like movement. You've got Richie Norton, who's like strength temple and Ollie Frost. And all you guys are like beating and banged out rugby players have just kind of gone, do you know what? I'm not lifting weights anymore. Uh, I'm just going to go down the route of, you know, body weight and movement. And uh, it, it's kind of interesting to see that that's the case. Is, do you think yeah. there's any particular, just the, the rigors of rugby kind of turns you away from it or it's uh, uh, I think just, different people everyone's different and you get you know i know guys that have have finished playing rugby and do nothing i know guys that have were, were big fat rugby players and then they've gone dead skinny and then and and skinny rugby guys that have gone dead but like and everyone, everyone sort of goes on to do different things um but one thing it definitely does do is you know we talk about redefining your impossible when i see someone like i know ollie frost had played against him when he was at worcester um and you see him now and you go in my head without knowing his background, I'd be like, Oh, but he used to be a gym. Like you go in, there's no way he played rugby like me. Like my hips are definitely jacked up and I can't improve to what he can do. But actually what's great about, about some of the, some of those types of guys that have come through the situation where, you know, I used to pull my hamstring all the time when I played rugby and I couldn't touch my toes five years ago and I finished and I had to work really hard on it. But actually seeing some other people like that, uh, like Ollie and you go, well, actually it's, it's it doesn't, I'm just telling myself a lie, you know, so if, you know, the same way with us, like Tim used to always dislocate a shoulder, now you can human flag, which puts that bottom arm in an overhead external rotated position where he's most likely and did previously dislocate it. And it's a compromised position. Now he's actually got that on lockdown and it it's, we often tell, the thing I like about it is we, we often tell ourselves a lie as why we can't do something when actually if all we need is someone just to show us that, you know, that there is a way and it, and it can be done. You can improve on that point of where you're at. It's no, it's the same as Roger Bannister breaking the, what was it? The four minute mile thing, whatever it was. And then, you know, they've made films about it because it is amazing. And until the day that he actually did it, everyone was getting so close and then no one could. And then bang, as soon as he does, everyone else is, uh, everyone else is on board with it. So we just need a little bit of help sometimes mentally to, to start to believe some of these things can actually be possible. So I think that's a, kind of a good place for us to kind of get going is where do you think or how do you uh, begin to break down those barriers with people who maybe haven't done uh, calisthenic training in, uh, in the past, maybe see it as something, maybe they do vision it as a bit more like gymnastics and go, well, I just can't do that. You know, my body won't move that way. I can't balance that way. I don't want to go off my hands because I'll smash my face if I land on the ground. So how do you start to break down those barriers and, and introduce calisthenics to people? Yeah, one of the things that we wanted to do when we started talking about what the school of calisthenics might look like was to make it accessible to anybody because we came into a point like you start, you think, you think a lot of people are going to start on the start line. Well, with my shoulder issues, I was probably, I was like 10 meters behind the start line. I was coming from a place of, of not very positive outlook in, in that regard at all. Um, and we wanted to, to be able to break it down because what we found when we were trying to learn, we'd go to resources and we'd try and find ideas and tips and things and techniques and how to break stuff down. We really found it quite difficult to get information that was accessible for people who weren't starting with some form of background in gymnastics or breakdancing or some kind of movement um, form, which was similar to what we were trying to do. Yeah, because sometimes the starting point would be 
uh, okay, step one is this. And you go, yeah, I can't do one. Yeah. And most of us, we can't do step one on some of these things because we just haven't got, like you say, haven't got that background. Mm. And it's like, how do you get, I need, how do, I need that stepping stone to even get on or maybe three, four, five, I don't know, a series of stepping stones to even get on to level one. Um, I think the benefit that we had is we, we the, the strength and condition experience that we'd accumulated over the years of working with leg amputees that need to run 200 meters or an arm amputee or someone with a visual impairment. You have to get good at understanding what the composite parts of the movement are. As, as a coach over the years, I was always said, like I've, I've, I think I've worked with athletes from over 30 different sports. It doesn't matter what the sport is if you understand movement. And then if you understand how to break it down for somebody who hasn't got a foot or a hand or something, you, you then just start to combine, well, this is the shape that I need to get into. This is what the body needs to be able to do. And then it's the creative side that comes through Paralympic sport of going, I'm just going to develop some exercises which are going to allow me to create that position, develop strength in that shape, and then I can start to link it together. What we, what's been amazing is, is I think the way that we've tried to project the school of car saints and just in that, the natural way that we are is we, we try and make it very friendly, not intimidating is, is our hope anyway, but we'll go to a beginner's workshop and we'll have anybody from a 16 year old to a 70 year old. We often get women 50 years and older coming to our beginners workshops. And it's just that, that first step of just try, give yourself the freedom to play. And we talk so much around that of getting away from the constraints of what gym culture says we must do. We have to use machines or free weights. We've got to behave a certain way because we don't want people to laugh at us. Our journey started messing about. We'd be in the gym and there'd be a tractor tire there and Jacko would be like, can you do a handstand on the tractor tire? I'm like, I don't know, I can have a go. And we'd fall over and we'd mess about and we'd get it wrong. But we learned so much through that. And it gives you the freedom to go, you know what, you'll play. And then all of a sudden you go, do you know what, I just had a play and I had the freedom. I didn't think I could do it, but now I can, or I'm almost going to get it. I wonder what else I can do. So it's literally just plant that first seed, be brave enough to have a go. And I hope that what we've done through our, and we're launching our virtual classroom um, um, very soon. It'll be actually be a week, I think. And, and 18th of January. 18th of Jan. We've got a full beginners class in there. So if you've never done anything before, we've got it covered. You can get on board and you can learn the foundations of, of bodyweight training. And that's the starting point. Don't worry about whether you can do a human flag. Just yeah. first get some enjoyment, some experience. And, and it's so addictive because the rate of progression is so quick. This, the skill acquisition component of it, you can literally go from improving your hand balancing in, the, in one week compared to what you might be, how long does it take to put extra weight on a bench press or a back squat? It can take months if you're at a decent level. Um, so you can, you literally can, can see that progression going quite quickly. So yeah, the, the, in a nutshell, it's just begin, just have the confidence to start. Yeah. I think one, one thing that's always uh, fascinates me about, well, we always, we always try to encourage people and, and Tim used the word journey that everyone is on their own journey of movement, strength, training, life, whatever it is. And everyone's there starts at a different point. And the, the, the term beginner is very subjective and we get 10, 20 people come to a class or a workshop or something and they've decided to call themselves a beginner. And for some people it's like, yeah, I've never done anything. And you're like, okay, this is going to be brilliant because one, okay, yeah, you're starting at the, you've literally never done anything. You can't even do a flipping push up. Um, this is going to be interesting for one, challenging, but we're, but we're going to, you know, that someone makes the most amount of progress at the beginning and then you've got some other jacked up dude that's like, yeah, I'm a beginner. Never done calisthenics, mate. You're like, so what's, what do you sort of do? Training? Oh yeah, like I'm pretty good at pull-ups. I do sort of do 35 kilo weighted pull-ups. Like, okay. <laughs> You're probably not a beginner. And then, you know, he's someone that's got like all the strength requirements, but just hasn't got the movement necessary capability in the, in the, some of the skill acquisition parts. And you go, 
can we teach someone like him to do a muscle up? Well, yeah, we can probably do that in about five minutes because he's already got the strength requirements. He just needs to, some of the, the technique and some of the movement patterns. Um, but that, that continuum of people is, is, is interesting in terms of beginners. And I think what we've not necessarily tried to do, but just because it's happened organically, this whole thing didn't start because me and Tim did calisthenics and wanted to create the school of calisthenics and therefore teach people. It started because Tim wanted to test out his uh, thought experiment. I got, I was finished playing rugby and um, took me about six months to get over my head injury. Um, wanted to get back into training, thought I'd do weights. As soon as I started doing weights again, I was completely bored with not having them. I'd, I'd lacked motivation because I didn't have the game of rugby to play for at the, at the weekend. And I used to be the most motivated guy, the hardest working guy. The, 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 when I was training, that was like my thing. And when I didn't have a game to play for, it take that sort of motivation was gone and it was a bit... I needed some new stimulus, something new to sort of chase after some new goals and calisthenics with those movement goals, gave me something really tangible to, to, to aim towards. And that sort of got me hooked on it. Um, but where we, where we ended up literally starting with Tim says from nothing, he's dislocated shot. I've got broke my scapula in two places, dislocated my AC joint in one rugby tackle. Um, and that's still never been, that's as is just left as you do crack on. You'll be all right, son. But um, no, uh, we started from nothing. And so because we were rubbish, and I think it was one of the things that um, you mentioned, um, I think his podcast, um, I forget his name. Yeah. And he said, he said, he was like, don't say this wrong way, but you can tell that you didn't used to do gymnastics. Like it's a little bit raw around the edges sometimes. (laughs) And like, you know, as we've got better, like Tim's handstand that we went to a gymnastics center with uh, a, Sam. Sam Oldham, um, Olympic gymnast, and we're getting some tips and just stuff with, with him. And, you know, Tim's handstand's got so good now that actually you could think, oh, he probably used to do gymnastics when he was younger, but no, no, it's not the case. When, when we first tried to do a frog stand, I fell on the floor and smashed my face down. Because we, because we were that bad and people, I think, can see that part of, they've been able to see that journey, it makes it feel like a little bit more accessible to them. And then if someone does fall over when they do a handstand, I can genuinely say to them at a workshop, I know what that feels like. You want to try and do this, 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 and this. But if you've always been able to do these things, it's impossible to relate on that level. Now, I didn't like being rubbish at the start. I hated it. But actually now I see the value in it. Still frustrated, but does that make sense in terms of a coach? It gives you that ability to be able to to level with, with people when they're getting started. And I think sometimes it's the we get most excited about the beginners that have just literally never started rather than necessarily than someone that's so far along the way that they only, you know, you, you realize you need to show them like a false script for a ring muscle and they've got it straight away. It's like, well, that's this, those easy wins, but it's when, I don't know, I, we definitely get excited about those beginners. Yeah, for sure. So what would you guys, uh, put out the, obviously you guys mentioned they're having injuries. You've been able to work around them. What other benefits are there to, to calisthenics training, say over maybe going to, barbell training dumbbells kettlebells those kind of things because a lot of times when people look at it they're going to compare it to you know to another form of training they either currently do or they see others doing and weigh up the benefits and the pros and cons yeah i think it comes down to what you want out of it um i kind of went all in on calisthenics i I gave myself three months and said if i don't like it i know enough to get back whatever i think i might have lost in terms of muscle mass and whatever else but the benefits are I think they're, they're, they're varied depending on what you want. So if somebody's a power lifter and they want to improve their bench press or they want to improve a military press for some other reason, Olympic lifting, for example, having a better shoulder 
stability, having better integration of the chaotic chain and being able to move and manage those, that entire system as one is going to improve your ability to press overhead. So there's no doubt that if you can increase shoulder stability, you can produce more force. So if we do some work like learning to handstand, the impact that you're potentially going to have on your pressing movements is going to go up. So there's, it, you play it to this to the strengths of the of how the system and the body is designed. The shoulder is a super mobile joint, but it lacks a lot of stability. I know that firsthand. So if you just ramp strength up, but you haven't increased the ability of the muscular uh, or the neuromuscular control around the shoulder to be able to handle that force, you you're asking for a problem, or you're never going to maximize the opportunity for that strength work that you're doing. So I think that's one side of things. Of does it support another goal? The other, uh, if, you, if you delve further into it, there's, there's a much bigger benefit in terms of it's just a, a more natural way to move. So doing work around hanging positions, you, you, you're doing a lot of, again, shoulder stability. You're integrating with the midsection, so the core and the shoulder working well together, which is, which is positive. You're managing your own system, which is, okay, if you, we're all designed with a certain amount of weight and, and muscle mass, and you're playing to your strengths rather than trying to be something you're not. It's not sensible for me to try and back squat 180 kilos. I only weighed 68 when I first started lifting. I'm 74 kilos now. But I'm just not a big guy. Like it's Trying to fight for me to try and be a bodybuilder is, is, is horrendous because I, I can kind of put a bit of mass on, but I can't keep it. My body doesn't want to be like that. And calisthenics is an interesting one is that everyone it's a bit of a level playing field in terms of you're moving your own mass um strength to weight ratio but you have to you can't hide you can't have a, an ego in calisthenics because it will expose your weakest link if you if you lack shoulder range of movement you're super strong you're not going to have a perfectly well aligned handstand if you um if you don't have the confidence in your in the in, or if you don't have the strength in the midsection you're able to transfer force you're not going to, to do a human flag whether you can do a 50 kilo pull-up or not and I think that's one of the real strengths in it is it isolates the weaknesses and forces you then to deal with them if you then want to achieve that outcome. Whereas for a lot of people, if you're just trying to lift more weight, it's fairly easy to kind of find a way to hide and slip another biscuit on the end of a barbell just to get that extra set out. Calisthenics doesn't work like that. You, you, there is, it's very leveling in that. And I like that. I like being humbled. And every time you get good at something, like I might be able to do that. Do my handstand. What's next? Handstand push-up. Okay, now I'm a beginner again, almost, <laughs> because it brings you back each time. There's always something more. You can do like 50 kilo pull-ups maybe or whatever, or you've got your first muscle up. Okay, now let's start talking about a single arm pull-up, and you're right back to start again. You have to go through the process of earning that right to progress to achieve the tangible goal at the end of it. That is something we can go, I can now do a human flag. Yeah. It's not about I want to look a certain way, because we all know from guys and girls, I'm sure it'll be the same. Try and change your aesthetics. We change them, but then you want to be a bit bigger or a bit smaller, or it's a, it's a, the goalpost can move. Whereas calisthenics offers a very final endpoint of you can do that thing. Well done. Pat yourself on the back. Goal achieved. What's next? Yeah. What does that do for your mindset once you've achieved something at the start? felt literally impossible because it does when yeah. when some of those things they feel impossible what does that do to your mindset around the rest of your training but then it goes broader than that because you start to realize actually that thing that i thought was impossible with my business maybe maybe actually i can figure out how to do that too um and like tim says when they're starting to focus as well on what can my body do rather than how it looks from a from a mental health perspective of like self-worth and all an image then you know that's that's maybe that's a bit too fluffy for your podcast but it's it's something that's definitely it's definitely true and even all of us buff guys out there that we know that you look in the mirror and you and you're looking at things that you want to change actually like let's focus on what can we do with the body because that's actually what's important as you get older as you get older you're not going to be bothered about how much i can bench or squat and i'd like to be able to do a human flag when i'm 70 i think that would be quite cool as a 70 year old but what what 
what's really important is that I, move, I, I can still move well and enjoy my life when I'm 70, 80, hopefully if I get that far. Um, does that make sense of where we go, of, of where that can, some, some of the benefits that, are, that go outside of the norm? Mm, definitely. And somebody mentioned there, obviously, there's that, that long process of kind of you, you, you make one achievement, but then like you're back to a beginner for the next step on, yeah. on, the, on the ladder. So how do you keep people motivated on that path? I, mean, I suppose once you've kind of achieved one or two, that, that motivation stays. But I think, I don't want to say it's a deterrent, but a lot of people look at it like the, the process can take quite a long time and slow pro- process. Like you said, in the, in the gym environment, we can kind of convince ourselves of progression by, by slipping a, a half kilo plate on either end of the barbell. Whereas the, the skill, the slight refinement and the slight adjustment to maybe the body or a leverage point when it comes to calisthenics can take a long period of time to see that progression come. So how do you keep someone focused and motivated to keep moving forward? Well, I think the, the whole thing of like redefining your impossible is, can, is going to be different for everyone. That, the same with that, that journey. It depends on where you're coming at, where, you, where are your strength and where are your movement like requirements and, and abilities. And depending on where you're at with that, it's going to take a different amount of time. So one thing to start with is stop comparing ourselves to how long it took someone else to do it because that's completely irrelevant. Um, but I'm, I'm terrible for that. I was comparing myself to him. So I'm in, I'm in trouble, but you know, but it's, do as I say, not as I do. But um, uh, there's, a, there's a nice story that illustrates this very well with um, a, 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 one of our, let's say, students. Um, she's, come, she's local to us in Nottingham, so she comes to our class regularly. And um, Helena name is, and she, um, she went literally from not being, she came to a workshop actually when she started. She couldn't do a frog stand. By the end of the, by the, end of the workshop, she could hold a frog stand for five seconds. And we haven't made her stronger in that amount of time. If she's just started to be able to control and, and manage her body weight. She needs to then go away and get strong. And she wants to go from this frog stand into the handstand, which takes an awful amount of shoulder pushing strength to be able to get out of that. And um, I remember being with her when um, she got to the point where she was trying to take both legs off and support her, her whole body weight through her shoulders and she couldn't do it. And she was, and she was in, in like just engrossed in this like state of like, oh, I'm never going to be able to be able to take two legs off Jacko and be able to hold it and, and go up. And I went, well, can you remember when you, you couldn't take one leg off? And she's like, yeah, God, God, yeah. I remember then I had absolutely no chance of taking one leg off. And I was like, but how long can you t- take one leg off and hold for now? Oh, it's easy. And she, she knew all the answers herself. She just needed that like reminding of actually this redefining our impossible or doing this, this big thing that I'm trying to go for is a series of lots of small steps. And th- what, what people have said back to us is what keeps them motivated is those small little steps that you see like last week I couldn't do X, but now I can. And you know, it's not like, it's not a bed of roses. It's not like every single week, everyone's making progress all the time. There's, there's times where you, you might be going after something and you just don't feel like anything's happening with it at all you need to actually just leave that and come back like anything frustration though at the same time as it being difficult to deal with at the time when you do finally do that thing it makes it way more um pleasurable or way more excited you'll be you'll you'll um you'll be welcome of those frustrations because it'll feel amazing and way more so when you've when it's been difficult to get there I think the other thing to add on to that quickly is that the skill side of looking at difficult movements and trying to understand how to do a handstand. A handstand is a unique one because it takes a long time. But the reality is that that should be a fairly concise point of a session. We can't just do skill development all the time. So the major thing that we're trying to do always in 
get stronger. It comes from two words. It means uh, beauty and strength. We have to, the beauty side. We wrap up in our philosophy around movement, but strength is we have to get strong. So you might have a part of your session, which is skill-based and that's exciting because it moves quite quickly, but then we're going to go, right, if you have an hour session, 45 minutes needs to be on getting strong, or you might use body weight training to structure more of a metabolic workout. You can still do all the things that you would do in the gym. If you want to run or you want to push a prowler or you want to, whatever it is, it looks like, and however you're going to mix your reps and sets and intensities, we still have that. It's still a major part of what we're doing. It's just that the, it's often leading towards a focus point of a goal of, I want to be able to do a human flag um, and I'm going to stretch my strength with it, which is pull-ups and it's maybe dips or push-up variations. We still have these foundations. And the other thing is, is fine on this point is just to say, put some easy wins in there. Like if you, sometimes people go, I want to handstand human flag muscle up. And I'm looking to that by the end of next month. You're like, right. Okay. That's going to be a, a bit of a thing to, to, to take on. Yeah. I've not done much before. Um, whereas it was actually like some real, we call it strength and play, but just learn an elbow lever. Like that's pretty, you could nail that down in a week or two, or just pick a frog stand variation, which is going to give you that sense of achievement whilst we've got this other thing on the, on the ball elsewhere. Yeah. Cool. So I mean, you win, so you went kind of all in, so, you know, you said you kind of gave yourself three months to go on it. Would your recommendation for some people would be like, kind of, you know, go all in, give yourself some time with calisthenics or would an integrated approach help people, potentially maybe those who currently maybe beginners or don't have a huge amount of strength already built up so they could build some additional strength through conventional barbell lifting and those kind of things and, and build it in. And if they were to take an integrated approach, what would your best approach or best advice be for them to do that? Yeah, definitely. I'm, I was, um, I benefited from the point of I had a decent amount of strength training experience behind me. So some of the stuff, my, my onboard point was, um, was fairly good in that sense. Um, and there was a few things which came fairly easy. So for example, a pipe push up, which is more of like a vertical pushing body weight movement. Those were something which I would be able to do where, where we still find a beginner's find those quite challenging. What would you have been shoulder pressing pre because I've got chocolate shoulders and my shoulder yeah. press was terrible. Because of my shoulder injury, I'd worked for a fair amount. My shoulder press was always quite good because it was my weakest thing. And so I kind of, I don't know, maybe like on a good 65, 70 for a military press, but for maybe for like three to five, potentially three, say. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think... I, <laughs> there's benefits either way. I think people sometimes lack a bit of confidence to go all in because they're scared of what it might mean. So I think an integrated approach is, is a really good way to go if, you, if you're worried about that. And my advice on that would be just to to set some specific goals around what you want to achieve. Like, so if it, if it is, I'm going to play with calisthenics and I'm just going to pick the handstand. I'm going to play around with some hand balancing. The real benefit of that is that if you do it at the beginning of your session, it's a really good primer for whatever else you're going to do for the rest of your session. It fires the shoulders up nicely. It gets them warm. It's giving you something to play around with. It's a skill development thing, which I think is great. And then for all, by all means, go and grab some dumbbells and blast out the workout that you want to do. And I think give yourself that little bit of a taste rather than thinking my world is going to end if I don't do bench press on a Thursday. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, but um, it depends on where you on, on what your objectives and your goals are. But I think it's again just yeah, pick something. It might be that you just want to get better at pull ups and dips. That would form a very easy onboarding process and go. Do you know, what? I can do a pull up. I really quite enjoy that. What what's it going to take to a muscle up? Um, and yeah, and I, and I think it is is really horses for courses in that sense. And, and um, but don't feel like you have to do what we did. Like I went all in, and I haven't done an upper body strength or weights based session for for five years now um, because I just yeah. enjoy it. And the, the last thing to say on that is that if you want to go into calisthenics, there is benefit of training in body weight specifically and using progressions that are difficult or progressive within that because 
moving your body on a handstand push-up, for example, is very different to shifting a barbell. So if we're looking at transfer training effects, you get better at calisthenics by doing calisthenics. It's fairly straightforward, like principle of training, but it does, it does apply in that sitting on a bench and doing a seated dumbbell shoulder press is, is not going to have as good a transfer into handstand push-ups as doing some form of pike push-up, for example. I would, I would encourage people just quickly jump in, like encourage people to just, just stop and ask this question, why? Like, why might you want to do all calisthenics or why might you want to do just all weights or why might you want to do an integrated approach? Because you need to understand what it is that you're after because without that, how are you going to make an informed decision about what's actually the best thing to go and do? So you might be doing a sport and it might be relevant. So you might be a fly swimmer and you might go, actually, I understand, um, that, that muscle up because of the action that it's going through, that actually probably helped my, my, my swimming. But I'm not good. It's not necessarily, you're just using calisthenics within your program. I mean, remember we spoke at the UKCA and who was the Australian? Dan, um, Baker. Dan Baker said that um, the Brumbies had been using um, a lot of the stuff that we showed them with like war walks and things as part of their, the end of their warm up to prep their shoulders before they'd go and smash bench press. And he said that they had they won the league that year or whatever period he was working with them. Um, and so it can, it can become part of something or it can be all of it. My, my, I just would finish by saying it comes with a warning that if you, do, if you haven't got a, a sport or something else, you just train because you like being strong and you haven't got any other, you know, you haven't got a specific like outcome goal or sport or anything like that, then the warning comes with you'll get addicted to it and you'll be all in. <laughs> awesome. So obviously, you know, we look at a lot of training, it, Progression tends to come through progressive overload and, and other uh, elements of you know training um, principles that we can apply to things. So I think that's one of the things that people kind of look at and they just often think it's just like, okay, it's a rep effort. You know, I need to do more reps than I did before uh, or they struggle to vision how they may, you know, increase strength or what we'd consider more pure strength in, in certain movements. So how are you guys programming for certain different training outcomes, but also progressive overload where people I mean you guys put up one the other day about you know knowing when to kind of add load to a movement but what are the other means that people can use to, to progress a movement yeah we have um we have uh, what, what we call our locker so every school has a as a, as a locker system we have a locker where we put tools for exactly that point that point it's a number of different things that we can use to change and create overload or regress or progress exercises according to someone's ability and that's what makes our approach to calisthenics is so accessible is if you're an absolute beginner, we've got a number of different tools which you can use to actually start participating. So for example, we've got a tool called the assistance tool. So if you can't do a frog stand and support your own body weight, we could put a band around your waist, tie it onto the pull-up bar. We can hook you into like a cradle and you'll be able to do it because we're going to take some weight off your on your body so you can do, it, um, do the frog stand. To move through to sort of overload and progression, if it's an isometric movement, it's sometimes about just changing the, the, the angle that you're working at or you're changing the lever length so that we can just put more mechanical tension on the system by changing the dynamics of, the, of that, that exercise. And all of a sudden, you move your feet an inch or two inches and it makes a massive difference. It, it really does change it. So overloading those sorts of things is pretty straightforward. We sometimes use weighted calisthenics if you're trying to get some more strength adaptation or you want to work in max strength ranges. So you might be doing 10 body weight um, pull-ups, but you want to do a muscle-up, which is about power. So now we're going to jump into using some of our strength and condition principles of going, let's create some maximal strength, some force adaptation by putting a weighted vessel and doing three times six or three times five or whatever. And then let's get a band out and use the assistance tool to start training velocity and get in high bar pull-ups. So we use a lot of um, simple or, or, or fairly standard 
training science principles that you would find in any, any environment within, within uh, fitness and, and strength and conditioning, but we're just adapting them towards a body weight outcome. Um, and uh, yeah, we, some of the other things will be changing the stability of an exercise. If it's more stable or less stable, it makes it more challenging. Um, so yeah, those, are, those are sorts of principles. But other than that, it's like, it's it, the weeks and the progressions and how we periodize our training program will be exactly the same as anybody else. We're going to try and progressively overload, but we're just using these tools to, to move us towards the strength or movement gain that will adaptation that we're looking for. Do you think you guys utilize that method? Because when you come from the SSC background, but also you, you had to problem solve and you were self-taught. Whereas if you come from a gymnastics background, you may have gone down more of a, the, the if you look at like Christopher Summers book, more of a, a pure variation and progression that they have. Yeah, I think we had to because we weren't good enough to be able to jump the progression. So we needed a number of different things to go, well, how are we going to make this work? Um, and we, we still come up with progressions all the time with new exercises. We're often coming up with just to kind of change the environment and or the, or the body position or whatever it might be. Um, to, to create a, a level which means we can train at it. I mean, we learned the human flag in a really bad way. We used to, so we had a pole, which was, we, we learned on like a, a vertical pole rather than the horizontal bars. It's, it's essentially like a pole dancing. Yeah, lap dancing. Yeah. Um, we weren't in it. was a, in a gym. It was a yeah, gym. It was in a gym. <laughs> <laughs> but we learned on that. And what we would do is we'd go in and go, because we, we didn't have access to good information really. So we would go up and we'd set our hands up and we'd kick up into it. And we might hold it for half a second and come back down. We'd do that five times. and be like, right, Jacko, you're a girl. I've done my set. Um, but that total amount of training had added up to about probably two seconds worth of time under tension whereas what we should have done is gone back in what we do now and how we teach people is gone here's your progression is you need to earn the right to progress so until you can hold a 10 second um vertical flag which is just feet down close to the ground you're not you're only really kind of getting a foundation of the push pull you haven't earned the right to go to a tuck flag position and it, it, again it's just using those principles to go we know we need to tick these boxes to get progressive overload but then these are the exercises that we're gonna we're gonna use to get there i think once you end up not being able to or the thing that it's more complex than going right i'm gonna do a uh, hundred kilo on this and then next week drop down my, my reps and add a bit more intensity. i'm gonna do 105 or one well, and you're, you're recording traditionally with weights you're recording numbers mm. we, there's not a lot of numbers used in calisthenics other than necessarily like the reps and sets you do which is the same as weightlifting, but maybe the time you held something for if it's an isometry so it's in terms of how you record it and how you have to be a little bit creative about how you change that training environment by rather than just changing the load some people don't like that because they're like jack i just want to get in the gym and i don't want to think i just want to like do my session and i'm done and that's great that's cool for you um i i like being challenged to think and use my brain in the gym and i think it's good for people to be using their brain whilst they're actually in the gym and it makes us a little bit more um, present about just our training in general when you're having to having to think about it and it's and it's cool when you like try something out and you're like we're always constantly refining what we're doing and going try a little progression regression try something and go mate that's it that that feels like that thing when i'm trying to do it great that's going to work for for me now or for someone else later um and that's that's what's exciting about it there's no there's no set rules there's like a framework of things that you want to do to make sure you don't get injured but outside of that it's it's we're exploring what we can do with our bodies i probably say in terms of like problem problem solving regressions progressions you guys probably with, with calisthenics have such a huge uh list of prog progressions regressions and different modality you know, different ways to teach a movement to different people because different body weights, heights, shapes, those kind of things. Still with, you know, conventional lifts, that's going to be the same. But the extent of the regression progression that you guys must have to 
where to find that person's start point and how to move them through must be quite significant compared to say me progressing someone through a squat variation or single leg variation, for instance. Yeah. Well, you go back to when I first, first session I'd seen Tim with was with Richard Whitehead. So double leg Paralympic, uh, double leg amputee Paralympic world champion. And he's in the gym, legs off. And I'm, I remember thinking, I think I always will. I'll never forget it. Cause like I'd never seen anyone with the like, Double leg amputee, the legs off, and Tim's just prepping him, and he's having, and, and Richard's having a laugh with him, and then it's like, what, what, what? Literally, what trained he did, and then nothing you did was anything. There was nothing that could come out of a textbook. It was all like, you should see the way they like set up to be able to to be able to do a Romanian. He could do a Romanian deadlift, but with a quite complicated setup with various different things holding him and, and on, on 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 benches and whatnot within the squat rack and. Um, I think because I let Tim can finish up and say what he, that experience he went through, but he'd spent, when I met him, he'd already been going five years of, of training people where he had to probably change the 90%, maybe 80% of the exercises for them. So I guess to, to you, it's, it's actually quite normal because you haven't done much programming for a, a, a standard able-bodied athlete. Yeah, it's true. Like I done, my passion was in, was in Paralympic sport. I liked the, the complexity of it and unpicking it. Um, and I, to be honest, I liked the fact that it wasn't written down in books. Um, Rich was a marathon runner before he turned a sprinter, and his marathon world record for, for a leg amputee is 2 hours 42. So the guy can shift. Um, and nobody... No, and he doesn't. He's, he's through the knee, so that he doesn't have a, a lower limb or lower below the knee um, leg. So when he runs, he has to circumduct. So no one, no one's written that down in a book. Um, and it just it shapes the way you think, and you become very dynamic about how you see movement and how I want to get where I want to get. And you start to go, well, I need I need some more glute med activation for that rotation on the circumduction, but we can't do crab walks because I tried that once by tying his knees together when his prosthetics on he fell over and people gave me a funny look because what you're doing is that poor person with no legs um but that's how we learn and we just tried and we played and it develops a, a mindset and um I think the, the, to your point of going there's lots of different progressions I think Jack and I are we want to give people the most direct route from A to B um, and make that accessible for anybody to do that. And I think a lot of the stuff that's out there in calisthenics can generally be very much similar. People are kind of using the same kind of principles where, where we've probably just taken a slightly different approach and gone, well, those haven't worked for us. And um, the front lever would be an example. The progressions that a lot of people use don't haven't worked for us. So we've, we've kind of spun it on its head and gone, what do we actually need to be able to do? And what are the exercises which are going to give us that adaptation? Cool. Well, so you guys mentioned like the, the levers there. So you, you mentioned you before we came on that you kind of had the, the, the sexy movements that people see you guys post or bar stars and those kind of things through like the muscle ups, human flag and front and, and front and back lever. And, you know, we, we kind of spoke that people want to do those, but they should really start somewhere else. But, but we know they're going to try and start there. So <laughs> <laughs> how do you break that movement down? And, you know, obviously you guys are pretty much, you know, pretty much self-taught. How do you break it down? Where do you get people to start? You already kind of mentioned the, uh, the human flag. So what about muscle up front and back levers? Where are you getting people to start their, their journey from? Yeah, the, the muscle up is actually the fastest one for us to teach on our progressions workshop because unless you can pull high and fast, you aren't getting above the bar. So if someone come and go, oh, I can do 20 bodyweight pull-ups, and you go, okay, that's pretty good. But every of those single, every one of those bodyweight pull-ups is chin just over the bar and it doesn't start from a dead hang position. So you're working through a fairly short range of movement. So we'll then start to, get, and it's a little bit about going, well, can you create 
full range of movement? Can you go from a dead hang position to an active hang and then pull high above the bar? And all of a sudden they realize that they can't do that. And then the rib cage doesn't get high enough or you don't get the bar far enough down the rib cage. So actually your opportunity to, to do the transition is non-existent. So your job is very quickly, this is where you're now takeaway is you can be probably strong enough to be able to do it but you're not fast enough so you need to now go away and train speed um and with a handstand people often will, will bring in our workshops again we'll bring everybody from a starting point here's this, here's the progressions and what we say to people is when we, when they leave our one of our workshops we want you to go away knowing exactly what you need to do and that'll be different to the person next to them but it's taking them on that journey of going these are your onboarding points everyone can hang from a bar everyone can in our workshops 99 percent of people will be able to do a frog stand if not a hundred percent. So everyone can experience the onboarding point. It's then understanding, right, my next progression is X and I, I know these are the locker tools which I need to use to get there. I need to just go and get stronger or, or move better. So it's, starting with a back lever, for example, it's can you skin the cat? Can you hang underneath the rings and can you basically do a backwards somersault and then put your feet on the floor. Most people will be able to do that. And if they can't, it comes down to some pulling strength. So it's, it's so easy to get involved in bodyweight training. And then it's just a matter of having some structure to show you where your points are that you need to now go and, and spend some time working on. Yeah, and whatever those exercises are, or those progressions are, or the movement you're trying to do, it's going gonna, it's gonna to boil down to those two things that Tim said a little bit earlier about calisthenics comes from two great ways, callus and senos, meaning beauty and strength and we talk about our philosophy on movement should be a beautiful thing so we have these two pillars movement and strength you've got to have those two things and regardless of what the what it is that you you're working on you need some some body awareness some kinesthetic awareness as, as, as a beginner we see too many people they have got no idea where their scapula where their shoulder blade is on their body and how to control it and where it goes when their arm goes above the head and when it goes behind the back. They've got, they, don't, they don't know how that can affect their ribcage position, how that can have a knock-on effect on their hip position. And they might be going, oh, I'm doing, these are my push-ups. And the way that they're doing them, they've got no, as soon as they're moving one joint, they've got no idea what's happening further down the rest of the chain. So there's, as, as a beginner, there's some level of understanding to start with of just figuring out a little bit about this, this sort of your body, the whole connected chain, how it's linked together and how when you go and put yourself in certain positions, these are the things that are going to quite, quite happen often and want to do. And then it, it boils down to some of those simple things in, um, with pulling, we're going to start, we're going to need to actually anchor that scap down in, in an active position. And then we need the same sort of thing for, for our pushing exercise. And we sort of build it up from there. But it, does, it starts with some of that basic awareness of what is actually happening with your body when you're trying to move it. Mm. That's really cool, obviously, yeah, saying there like that, that some sort of fundamental principles there, understanding, and then building upon that rather than just kind of jumping in a bit blind. Well, I think because the thing that I'm quite passionate about is the fact that, and it's taught, and I'm passionate about it, I think, because it literally resonates with me because it taught me. Um, you have to know those things and be able to control those things because you're managing your own body weight. You don't have the luxury of doing a horrible uh, vertical press with really nasty, like scapular movement, and just picking a lighter dumbbell because you can get away with it with a lighter dumbbell, but you still got this horrible movement. Um, you literally have to fit. You've got. You've got to get. That's one of the things. One of the benefits. A previous question that calisthenics forces you to actually figure this out and actually get good at it. And you're, you're, the, the long term benefits of that are massive, rather than yeah. and it's say it's forces, but it's not unenjoyable. No, yeah, sorry, no, yeah, no, in a good way, yeah, no, in a good way, rather than, um, 
you know, repetitively doing and overloading poor movement patterns, which you can do by just doing a lighter load of an, uh, any other exercise. Mm. I mean, how many people in the gym do you see squatting, knees, hips, everything horrible, but, you know, sometimes with a coach going, yeah, we'll put a little bit more weight on <laughs> just because you got up. Yeah. Kind of like there's like a level of movement honesty. And yeah. you've got to have that level of honesty before progression can actually happen. It's gonna, it's gonna keep you keep you true to that movement because you you need to be able to do it. You can't really cheat and compensate as much as you could do with a with a barbell, dumbbell, or kettlebell. Yeah, yeah, and you might not know that you're compensating. Most of the time, we have no idea that we're compensating. Mm, yeah. so it's not the person. It's, we only know what we know. So it's not our. It's not necessarily our fault, but. Um, yeah something that gives you a bit of a chance to feel that is, yeah, is good. I think if we're going to be higher functioning human beings in terms of movement, we're going to get back to some of the, the basic principles that we should be able to do as humans. And we're going to do that for a long period of time later into our life. And we're not going to start to struggle with, with some of the negatives of, of old age and, and overloading in the wrong movement patterns and sedentary lifestyles and whatever else we need to understand what our weak links are you have to and then we need to have some reason to address it like jacko is one of jacko's weak links he won't mind me saying his, his range of movement what but because <laughs> there. because he has because he wants to do a certain movement there's a goal of a, a straddle plunge for example he's got to sort out his hamstring range of movement if he didn't have that goal and it was just a matter of doing a squat on a stiff leg deadlift which he can do you wouldn't be motivated yeah. to the same level to actually deal with the stuff which is which is deficient or yeah. Well, I've always in your classic chain for the number of times I pulled my hamstring playing rugby. Clearly, I had some dysfunction around the hip, and clearly the and I had been told by physios to do certain bits and pieces. But so I've always needed to do it. I just didn't have the motivation to do it because mm-hmm. stretching is boring. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but doing a straddle plan is cool. Way cool. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, exactly. So you guys mentioned earlier, and and ironically, it's getting mentioned more and more by coaches on, uh, that I have on the podcast about the importance of play, and it's almost a, a method of problem solving as well. So, what are some of the additional benefits that you found for yourselves, but also putting it into or encouraging it with others when it comes to either program adherence or uh, you know almost like self discovery? Like you said, you you go and try something, handstand on a tire. And suddenly start to figure some shit out that you didn't realize you could do. Play makes people happy. It's as simple as that. And if you're enjoying something and it may, it's fun and it's, it's therefore engaging, you want to do more of it. We letting people have the freedom to just go and play with movement is what I've got a little boy. He's, he's nearly two years old. That's what he does. He, he has fun and he falls over and he finds different ways to crawl or climb or whatever. And he enjoys himself doing it. And I think that's one of the, the biggest things about understanding yourself as a person um, from a physical perspective, but also from a mental well-being perspective. Like the benefits we need, to, it's an area which we want to do more reading and research in there, but I'm pretty confident to put down the neurological benefits of play and what happens in the brain when we do those things is a positive um has a positive effect on our, 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 our mental well-being, and therefore how we are at home and how we are in our careers. And our, our, our approach to calisthenics started out as like, well, can we do this thing that we thought was impossible, like a human flag? And that'll make a nice photo for social media. Um, but what it's actually become as we've gone through and our own journeys have progressed, we understand now that actually there's a much bigger benefit of on our on our mental well-being. And there's a um, there's a, a, a movement called um, 10 Ways to Live a Happier Life. And it's, it's an acronym, it's Great Dream. And if you actually break those down, you can find all of those things in, in calisthenics. And it's things like setting goals, having perseverance, being resilient, uh, being part of a community. All these really, it, the things that we know make us happy that are good for us, but it's, you can find a lot of them in calisthenics. 
Um, so I think there are the benefits of understanding yourself physically and trying new things and, and understanding maybe I could do that other thing that I didn't think I could do. But I just think play is so good for our brains, so good for us as a, from a mental perspective and of our well-being of, of actually making us happier people. But the constraints, particularly in fitness, is of going the um the status quo of what people do in the gym and gym culture and there's guys over there and girls over there that look intimidating and i don't really feel like i can go on so my hands and i might fall over it restricts us from playing with movement um and i think that's been one positive actually from culturally and one thing i've really enjoyed watching of being involved in elite sport is the evolution of the olympic games X Games was all about play. That was our freestyle sports. And we've got snowboarding and half pipe. And we've got I mean, all these really exciting urban sports or snow sports or adventure action sports. And they've come into the Olympics and it's now becoming more mainstream. Parkour is huge. That's just play with running. Um, and, I, and I just think that's people have got those options in, in sport. And I think calisthenics brings that into the fitness environment, into a gym where we don't, they're not really geared up for play. And you see these gyms with great racks and rigs and stuff in there, spent $20,000 or pounds on a, on a, um, a functional rig, if you want to call it that. But no one uses it because don't, people don't have the confidence to, to try and do a skin the cat because they think people might, might look at them a bit funny. Um, so I think that's just, yeah, I don't know. How, there's, there are a number of ways to get over that, but I think um, that would be where my kind of my major you can take home on that would be we had a post this week um laura heathcote physio is she wheelchair basketball uh, yeah yeah um so we've we've had quite a few conversations with physios and we actually we did a little handstand workshop at the eis um so the english institute of sport um conference with the with the with the however many what they got 150 odd physios, yeah. physios um and and there's some and there's the play aspect it's not just it's not just for two idiots like us that like messing about in the gym there is ben, there is those benefits from the performance side of things and, and she's using um some handstand work with as like late stage rehab with an athlete that she said that has literally not engaged at all in anything else until she's actually for took two years for two years and then taking her through some wall walks I had a physio at sale sharks talking to him a friend of mine that used to uh it was actually physioed me through my head injury um and he's he's looking at the idea of using some of these things to one of the most difficult things at late stage rehab is someone's got some someone's had pain or there is pain associated with the issue and when they're doing things it's very hard for them not to focus on the pain whereas the idea of getting them doing something that's a little bit more playful it needs to be safe clearly but a little bit more playful and a little bit the mind on something else and not on the pain of the injury um having some great benefits so it's almost like play in a non-play environment because you don't think of necessarily like performance sport and physio and late stage rehab as being a playful thing but actually there's 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 benefits to it in vastly different areas which for us makes it even more exciting it's almost like they're using it as a it means to bring in kind of a, a skill also something that requires some sort of mental process to get them to overcome I, I know i spoke to jacob harden about he says there's a lot of research coming out now about injuries can pass, but then there's the mental blockage that makes you still believe that 100%. when you get out of bed, your back's going to jar because that's what used to happen. So almost like using it as a, a movement that you maybe never have done before. And you can overcome that by through uh, learning a new skill, through overcoming a, a complex task, but then not doing a movement maybe that you associate with your injury. Yeah. yeah, and I think the thing from from that rehabilitation perspective as well is if it's fun, you're more likely to do it. Yeah. How many of us stop doing our physio when the pain goes away because we're not reminded that we're injured anymore? But we actually haven't taken that injury. That was the big thing that I did. Yeah. I never took my, my shoulder rehabilitation to the point where it was functional to the level that I wanted to use it at. 
Whereas if you're, if you're having fun with something and you, there's, there's endless progression within that, it might just be a frog stand to start off with, but and the shoulder might be back to a functional level for whatever you need, but you're enjoying that process. So actually now we can upgrade your shoulder 10 times because we're going to move you through these progressions, not because you've got a shoulder injury, but because you're having a good time. And us as physios and strength and conditioning coaches can sit back and go, oh, that athlete or that person thinks that they're playing, they're having a good time. At the same time, I'm getting increasing shoulder activation. I'm getting better neuromuscular control around the joint i'm getting better to midline or spinal stability and it's like okay now how many ticks do we want to put in a box so it, it really kind of like spans out and all under that guise of let's play we talk about that all the time we say to people here's your progression have a play and encourage them to just go and explore don't look to us for exact techniques you need to work out what the right hand position is or the way your hip position is and we'll give you cues but try it, fail, fall over, see what happens, reflect on what you're doing, be mindful of your practice and then readjust and move forward. It becomes a really beautiful thing. That's perfect. That's a great way uh, to finish the podcast off guys. So yeah, I appreciate you taking the time to come on. Uh, what you guys do with, uh, with the calisthenics and the, and the bodyweight training is fantastic. It's certainly, I think you make it accessible, you make it fun. And I think because like you mentioned, because you're self-taught, there is a, there's a high level of relatability there. Just, you know, if you're a gymnast, people probably look at you differently, but no, it's uh, fantastic to connect, have you guys on and uh, appreciate you taking the time to share your knowledge. Yeah, thanks. I just want to say if anybody's interested in finding out more about um, us and they can have a look around our, our virtual classroom, which is live on the 18th of January, we've got, we've broken down all of our, um, our movement specific we call them as classrooms, but if you want to learn the human flag or a handstand, it's down into a modular approach. We've got workouts in there and there's a community. There's loads of stuff for people to go and have a look at and, um, and just have a play around with calisthenics and see if it's something that, that people want to have, a, have an explore of and, and do a little bit more of. Perfect. Brilliant. Thank you so much for your time today, guys. It's been brilliant. Yeah, no, thanks for having us Thanks, for, It's been great. So thank you so much again for listening. We don't take it lightly that you uh, give up probably an hour of your time to listen to these podcasts. So we really do appreciate that. We hope you got a load of value out of it, guys. And we would, if you did, we would love you to do a couple of things for us. One of them is tell other people and share it if you thought that we were adding some value. And also, if you want to, pop over to iTunes or wherever you're listening to this and give us a five-star review. We like five stars. Four stars, not as good. Keep it five are the best. Five of your best stars, please. (laughs) And if you would like to find out more about the School of Calisthenics and see the best of everything that we have got, head over to our virtual classroom. You can access it from the website at schoolofcalisthenics.com. And that is where we have got literally, possibly, the best calisthenics resource available anywhere in the world. Definitely the best one we've done. And on that note, until next week, class dismissed.